0: This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 38 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. Exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is speaking with people we can't meet with face-to-face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. I'm going to get you to just turn off your notifications a minute because they keep binging. Yeah, because you're getting a lot of emails.
1: (laughs) Or do it at 45 or do it at 85. You got to go back out and hunt the energy. It's like what you've done with making these podcasts, my guess, is that you found that this was fun for you.
0: That's the voice of my guest this week, Cynthia Scott. She's the owner of ChangeWorks Lab. With her background in anthropology and psychology, Cynthia is best placed to unlock the hidden patterns of your work to achieve your best creativity and innovation. Cynthia's been in the change business for over 35 years, and she likes it. The best organisations help people prepare for change. They acknowledge the grieving, and they acknowledge the disruption. She draws a lot of maps to help to see the bigger picture. Cynthia helps you rediscover yourself and finds those passions that help ignite your workday going forward. Are you going to join her for the journey? My first question I asked Cynthia was, what's her business all about and what's her role within that business?
1: Well, I am a combination of a psychologist, an author and a consultant. And what I do is I work with organizations and leaders to transform what they're dealing with what they're dealing with uh, into
0: resilient cultures. Okay, so lots of words there and I would love to distill it a little bit. So your background, first of all, you've got a background in what, psychology, is that correct? I'm a trained psychologist. And you've also got a background in anthropology as well. So how do those two mesh?
1: Well, it comes from a curiosity about how do people live their lives? And I think I started out as an anthropologist being very interested in many different ways that people make sense of their 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 environments and and their religious and cultural backgrounds and then i kind of narrowed that into how can we help people be more resilient how can we help people be you know live the lives that we're leading in a more um fruitful or flourishing kind of way
0: and you said a really key word there which i really wanted to pick up on is how do we make sense and that's something that i feel you know as a baby boomer you know at the, Things aren't making much sense at the moment. Things have really changed. I would say even just in the last five or ten years, the whole dynamics have changed. So what's been happening in the world and what do you see, you know, from your perspective, what do you see as happening at the moment?
1: Uh, I like to say that nature is really rattling. I mean, having come out of a a background teaching in a business school in sustainability for 10 years, it's like nature has been giving us signs and now the trembling is happening, whether it be, you know, we're on fire today in California, we've got floods, half of our country is too wet, half of it is too dry. Nature is rattling. And the culture then of the people as you said, David, is trying to make sense. How do I live? How do I make choices? How do I raise my family? How do I plan a career? How do I get old? Well, all those things, people are making lots of choices about what to do now. And, and the there's no, there's no books. (laughs) There's no, there's no books. Oh, take one from column A, one from column B, and you will be fine. Um, We're making up a lot of things. We're icebreakers, in a way. We're, we're kind of heading out onto a different
0: a different territory. Interesting, interesting that. And it's in, you know, that takes me right back to when I had my first child, you know, like you, there wasn't really a book. There's guidance on pregnancy and there's guidance on how to bring a child up. But there's no real guidance on how day one you've got this little bundle in your arms. What do you do with it? So do you think that we are actually a kind of a rebirth in some ways? That might be a dramatic statement of culture and the way that we approach culture. And because of the way that we're connected, do you see that we're having to rewire things, do you think now?
1: Absolutely, David. I think I think we have to go back to things that really matter. I think people are, I think the pandemic was a, was a great example of that. It gave us kind of a refreshing, uh, not that people felt it as refreshing, but it got people back to what really matters. You know, what, what are their values? What are, what are, what, what gives you pleasure? What are small things that, that really matter to you? And I think, I think in that way, uh, the pandemic prepared us uh it was it was the the opening door of having to return to things that that really are important to us as human beings
0: yeah and that's a really interesting statement because the pandemic almost people see it as a very negative thing it's sort of, you know it's got you got to get the passports get your jabs you got to sort of try and do this and it's going to be time doing that but it was a little bit of a pause wasn't it
1: in my neighborhood here in San Francisco it's like people are not going to get back on the google bus they're not going to, you know, strap themselves in and ride an hour and a half and give up their precious freedom and their lives. And I think in some ways they got returned to having relationships with their children, with their spouses, with their families, with their community, with their neighborhoods. And so people found meaning and mattering in that again and i just know my son has like a relationship with his sourdough starter you know he he t- he took to baking bread and you know he he has become you know mr sourdough of the neighborhood it's like how 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 would you have known those things unless we were kind of stopped down you know padded and Turned inward.
0: Yes, and that's a really great term that you use, turn inward, you know, like looking at ourselves for change and have a chance to examine where we are at this point in time, which I like. Okay, so let's take um your company now. So you're in this situation, you've realized that there's some challenges at the moment out there with the situation we're all in. And as human beings, we're trying to adapt. What are you doing from your perspective uh, uh, with your company to really help people adapt to the new situation?
1: Well, I've always been in the change business and cut my teeth on the first on the first contract I had, actually, I had founded my consulting firm in my basement, and I never wanted anyone to come and see where my office was. So so I always said I would go to your office. But we got a call one day from AT&T, which is this huge organization, and they said, we think we're going to have a change problem. We're going to divest lots of our people, and we want you to come help us. And I'm going, you, it's like this the thing you always do, you say always say yes, you can, so i said sure and and you know that began a real interesting journey having having worked with many, many organizations as they Navigated downsizing and implementing new technology, and wanting a new culture, and and not liking their strategy or their leaders aren't aren't future fit. Or it's a a large area this change management thing. And I, I spent most of my time kind of doing stuff and then writing about what I found. And I think my first book was called Take This Job and Love It, and then Take This Work and Love It because it was like. You know, the the psychological contract with work was changing and they had to understand how did they show up in a way, how do you engage these new people? How do you make a future fit kind of environment? How do you make a place that people want to come to? So I've been in that business for, you know, 35 years. And I like it because the, you know, I, I often say that you've seen one change, you've seen one. And, and each one is a different, it's a different time, it's a different culture, it's a different organization, it's a different um, set of characters, whether you're doing a, a merger with an Israeli and Silicon Valley company that has to kind of put those two cultures together, or you've got a um, Closing plants and and taking things offshore or or speeding things up in a way that people have never done before. So I'm having fun. I I really enjoy kind of being in this nexus of change and the human side of change.
0: And that's really refreshing to hear because for us being on the other end of that, of course, if we're involved with change, it can be extremely scary and frightening, can it? It's
1: stressful because you're you're having a disruption in all the things that make sense to you. Your sense of safety and status, you know, who you thought you were, you know, even, even your basic comfort level of if you are used to driving to work and parking in the parking lot and it's all different. Or, or, you know, going in the door and, you know, where is my desk? Or do I even have a desk? I'm now outsourced or i been sitting at home. So the fear is real. The disruption is real. And, and for organizations to understand how to help people prepare for that. Um, the ones that do best help people prepare. And they also do another thing. They acknowledge the grieving they acknowledge the disruption. They say, this is really hard. They don't just mm. say, get over it. They said, oh, we're really going to mess with your all your patterns of certainty and security.
0: You know, you speak to a lot of the things I've experienced in my life. I'm lucky because I come from a military background. My father was in the British Army, so we moved around a lot. So I was used to change, establishing new relationships and what have you. Where I got really angry in the work world was that when it affected other people who weren't used to change, I see the adverse effect on those people. And I really resented that being in, you know, senior management that, you know, somebody would come along and say, Well, this is the way we're gonna do it now. Hold a second. Where's the consultation process? Where's the, let me grab your hand and take you on that journey process. Let me show you what that feels like. So at least then you have a choice and you can say, is it good to be on board or do you want to move out of that environment? Give people a choice. But there was none of that in the experiences I've ever had. And luckily I was resilient, but a lot of a lot of people aren't, are they? And that's normal. That's correct, isn't it?
1: Well, you get that way from being able to develop some things that that people who are resilient do. And and I think what you said about the military is interesting because you moved physically, but the base was f- very much the same. And it could have been in India or it could have been somewhere else. but the base culture, was the same. So you were shifting people, but you weren't going outside the military. What we're doing with people now is we're saying, oh, we need more innovation. Let's make you the innovative people. You're no longer in marketing and sales. You're something else. That that kind of, I'll say it kind of glib repurposing is is very disruptive for people. And And what you said about helping people see the map. I draw a lot of maps. I work with a strategic illustrator, and we make the picture, the big picture. <laughs> you know, If we're going to do a big something, it has a picture to it, and you can point to it and kind of say, we're here now. We anticipate these kind of disruptions, and the outcome will be sort of over here. So people, way back to cave paintings, people, you know, had X marks a spot, and here's the journey, and the water is over here. People need that kind of guidance. So I use pictures. I use maps. I, I And they, they don't have to be fancy. They can be as simple as X and the arrow. But you talk to it, and you help people see... It's not so, you know, not smooth. <laughs> you know, oh, we'll just merge these two companies together, you know, and then make all these synergies. No, we're going to have some time of disruption. Holding the hand and understanding. And as you said, David, not everyone has had that kind of disruption. And I think it's it's also, you know, we, whether it be in the U.S. or other places, it's like we've been raised to believe or experience that how it is will always go and I think the big disruption now is you know we're not going to be in the way we were in the world we're going to have to see the world in different ways.
0: Okay I would love to sort of distill that back into you know kind of the work history so traditionally over the years and you can probably sort of sum this up better than I can as baby boomers, of course, and that's my age range, we expected to go to school, do as hard as we could, be truthful in what we were trying to do, and achieve the grades and go and get a great job and work up through the ranks. And maybe if we were good and competent and we were in the right place at the right time, we achieved something in that job role, you know, in that organization. And that's almost as if somebody's just thrown a bomb in there and blown that up now. It's sort of that disappeared that world sort of 15, 20 years ago. And now we're in a world which is very changeable. And we find also that younger people who are coming to the workforce, the millennials and what have you, they're not seeing any stability because there's a lot of change. You know, you tend to find that people go in and maybe in 18 months, two years, two and a half years if you're lucky, and they move to a different job. So what's going on in the workplace now that you think that we need to either fix or redirect in some way?
1: I don't think we need to fix it. I think we need to tell the truth about it and we need to stop pretending like there's career ladders <laughs> and there's and there's I've always said it's like the airport, you know, you're on that that walkway and all of a sudden It just ends, you know, and you have to drag your bag to the next one. It's like there will be many, many of those gaps. There are there is no one smooth ride anymore. And because the world is changing what it needs, you have to change of what you offer and how you think about yourself and and how you repackage yourself and and. You, the competencies, you know, what are you competent at? And, and you could do it here or here or here. I was a professor for 10 years of leadership within an MBA program. And all of our students are, you know, are preparing themselves. I said, we're not preparing you for jobs. We're par- preparing you for work. Stop thinking about a job. A job is just a work that you create. And then it changes. What you want to prepare where you get your strength is your own competencies and your ability to repackage and reoffer what you have. So we tried to really prepare our students who are launching out, you know, thousands of them into the world of being leaders um, to be leaders of Many things, not just leaders of a particular, but I think, I think training people in leader leadership is is wonderful because they can lead a nonprofit, they can lead a profit, they they can, you know, work in a lot of different kinds of organizations. So I think I think organizations have got to be clear. They got to tell the truth. They stop making promises um, and stop on the on the employees stop expecting promises, and then feeling disappointed when it doesn't happen. We're all in free agent nation right now. We are all you know out on LinkedIn with our profiles refreshing our skills over and over again. I'm doing it myself. It's like I add 10 years as a, a career as a professor. I don't want to do that anymore, but where does teaching happen? Where does where does education happen? Where does learning new stuff happen? So finding my way to those points of connection where those things can happen. So the other thing is it's a lot harder and you have no one to blame and so it's really grumpy you know that they no one did this to you um if you're awake this is how you're living my, my 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 kids are not waiting for someone to give them a job and make them safe they're they're working on things all the time to kind of up their skills or looking around so i think this is the, that's the big reset david is we used to have this kind of um you know shared delusion, yes <laughs> and 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 it might have worked in government and whatever, but then the other part of that is your soul died,
0: <laughs> yeah, and exactly. you waited
1: for retirement to release your soul again, well, people aren't waiting for retirement to release their souls they're they're taking off and you know going to Thailand for a year or they're you know working here or working there. No one is accepting that again they're not they're not in prison, but they are at risk and they are at you know having to reinvent it.
0: It's not easy at all, you're right. And and you hit so many really good key points there. You're not in prison, you're waiting to release your soul. You know, it's so destroying watching people in that situation thinking, I gotta just do thirty-five years, then I'll be free and then I can enjoy my life. And think, what?
1: No, no, no. After 9/11, every day is precious. You see, after COVID, every day is precious, you know. And when you're talking about, you know, where we are in our careers, David, it's like every day is what we've got. And so, you know, it's like don't waste, don't waste. I think people leave because they don't know either what they want or they do know what they want and they've they've run out of their runway at that at that place. And so people are going to leave, and it's not a it's not a disaster. Release them well, and welcome the new people in.
0: Yeah, you sum that really well, because uh, you know, often as not, people are jaded. You know, they're fed up with the situation, and and I think as employers, we have to recognize that and say, listen. I don't have a problem if you want to leave and further your career somewhere and I will help you. Just give me notice and let's work it through as a very pragmatic way of moving you on to the next sort of part of your life, you know. And I think having those conversations, those honest conversations can be really, I think, uh, empowering, really empowering. Well,
1: how you leave is how you start the next one. It's a good goodbye. David it's a good goodbye you know when I coach people in their work it's like let's make a good goodbye here let's leave well because you leave full your employer leaves fine and your story can refresh itself rather than guilt and feel bad and sneaking out and
0: you know absolutely
1: doesn't fill you up
0: what I'd like to try and do now is I want to give you a scenario where For instance, somebody of my age, say somebody in their early to mid-50s, been a great employee, have gone through school, they've got great qualifications, great experience, they've led great teams in the past, but somehow their, their track has been deviated either by COVID, you know, the last 18 months, two years, or, you know, a downturn in the industry and suddenly they find themselves out in the wilderness and they're not sure what to do. And they need some help. Like they've been able to achieve it before, but now they're finding the stumbling blocks. There's not avenues open to them for one reason or another. How would you, what was your sort of three or four point plan to maybe sort of start to analyze themselves, figure out what they are, where they are, and where they want to go? And how do they get motivated to get out there and start to say, I'm available again?
1: Well, you're on it, David. It's like the first thing you do is you consolidate your competencies. You know, what do I really know how to do? You said, I lead teams, I do this, I know how to solve problems. Those, that's getting clear. And you might even want to ask people, people get. People forget what they know how to do. I I say go, go talk to five people who know you and say, what do I do really well? Just refresh yourself because you're, you've kind of run down on your own way of seeing. So I, go out and create your own personal board of directors and talk to people and say, what are the three things, you know, David, if you, if you watch me, what, are, I, I just did this with somebody yesterday and she says, oh, this and this and this, and I forget that. So it it helps you buffer yourself and remind yourself of what you really do. And then write those things down because those are the things you put on your LinkedIn. Those are the things you you rearrange the way you present yourself. And it's really your story, your coherence. The second thing is you have to kind of dig back into your passion. And what what do you love? You know, what are the things that you want to wake up for? Not the things you have to do. What are the things that, that, that would light up your day, that brighten you. Write those down too, because that's where to hunt. Where is that energy happening? And then the third one is where are the opportunities? And people often, you know, they go right back to the same kind of industry or group that they've been. You've got to create more fish lures in the pond you have to fish into broader ponds you have to go cross discipline you know it it, like i'm in education i don't i don't i don't want to you know go to another school but you know linkedin has some tremendous you know Inside opportunities, there's lots of places doing education. Where are people needing content? Where are people needing people who can corral learners and make cohorts happen? So I think that the C is the competencies, the P is the passion, and the O is the opportunities. And what you've got to talk to everybody. You have to say, I'm looking for, or this is what I want to do. And you bring that into the conversation and you put it, you know, front and center because your network is where the opportunities are going to come from, not from monster and looking at, you know, things that pop. Those are jobs. You're looking for work and you may have to actually stitch several things together to make a work quilt rather than a job because you won't fit in a job and no job can contain you at this point <laughs> so so forget it <laughs> so but 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 take the responsibility for stitching your quilt you may you know you may do some of this and some of this and um you know that those are the people that i see make more sense of what's happening especially at mid career Mid-career people don't don't fit into jobs anymore, but they fit into bridging systems. They work at the edge of two things and they connect them together. So if you connect biostatisticians and, you know, something else, you are the connector. So look at places that you can connect.
0: And I love that. It's that rich tapestry that you're talking about, isn't that? Melding together and stitching it together. But being being the linker, being the kind of bridger, uh, almost like being a specialist an industry where they don't have your speciality at the moment or something like that
1: so if you kind of bridge out to a new consumer group you can be the translator you can be the bridge I think people especially you know those of us in in that age range are are very good at bridging and we we speak multiple languages not French and German we speak consulting we speak leadership we speak change we speak you know product development and change so it's those multiple literacies that we have
0: you're halfway through listening to honor on the track with me david wilson my guest this week is cynthia scott from change works lab next i want to ask cynthia a little bit more about her personal life where did her mum and dad come from and how did she get on this journey?
1: I am the oldest of nine grandchildren. And I am, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. And I had very adventurous grandparents who came to Arizona in the 20s to run a school. And so we are kind of Pioneers and and educators, and so I grew up with a mom who um, taught in in a prison. Uh, she she helped uh, people, young young people in a a, a, a youth facility um, learn, stay in their school. And I had a dad who sold life insurance, but he sold it to ranchers all over Arizona. So he. Cattle ranchers and um, uh, people who grew cantaloupes <laughs> and all kinds of things. so so we lived in Phoenix, and we traveled we we always traveled. We started out in the back of our truck and slept under a piece of canvas and then we got a camper and a bigger camper and a bigger camper and we would go to Mexico and we would go we would just drive and and see the world we went to national parks so I I grew up very curious and you know with with parents who worked pretty regular kind of job jobs but um my grandparents always traveled as well and I I started looking for other things when I was young. I, I just was always very curious. And at 15, I joined Up With People, which is Sing Out America. And I danced my way in the hearts of millions in, in Italy when I was 15
0: and wow. did
1: school in a book bag.
0: What's, what's, so, so, sorry, i got to stop you. What
1: What's doing school in a book bag?
0: Explain that to the uninitiated.
1: There were no computers then. So Actually, it was the University of Nebraska extension for all the farmers that d- couldn't get into so we did high school on the road singing and dancing during in the evenings and high school during the day and my books came in a book bag and if you can imagine doing chemistry out of a book <laughs> with yeah. a tutor. But we 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 did that in order to um, stay with the show. And the show was about, you know, up with people and the world can be better, basically. So wow. it's something for a 15-year-old's heart to be involved
0: in. Fantastic. So how did you get into the dance and, and get to Italy? I mean, how did that get facilitated?
1: I actually set up the local sing See, I was always an organiser. I set up the local sing-out, and they said, "Hmm, Cynthia can organize things. She can connect stuff, so let's take her along. It's not because I have a singing voice or dancing. I I do those things, but it's because I saw how to make things happen, and I've used that over and over again. I came back um, and set up a drug abuse treatment center when I was still in high school, I'm a social impact person. I'm a social entrepreneur. We didn't have those words for it then. But I saw needs and organized things to have them happen. And I I did that through my college career and, you know, worked at redoing the student health and health services at UC Berkeley. And I've always kind of looked at how do you fix things differently more so they fit people's needs. So it makes sense that I would then go into the workplace and kind of work on the workplace. And I kind of zigged out for a while and became a a psychologist because I was teaching in a medical school and you had to you had to be a doctor to teach doctors, so I became a psychologist. But I taught behavioral science, how to listen to patients, how to use a three-minute egg timer to time you to listen for three minutes instead of interrupting the, the patient.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> I'm very practical, and I like to translate a lot of kind of, you know, good research into action
0: interesting enough though your skill set has led you to what i call a very practical thing that you did suggest there is that you've created picnics this year haven't you with your business which was wonderful and i had the chance to experience one of them which i was blown away with it like i thought this was just going to be all this highfaluting, high level kind of talk but suddenly we got into some practical stuff and i had the most relaxing meet i've ever had in 18 months so tell us a little bit about what you did this year that was a bit different
1: this is the time for resilience. I, I kind of dug back in, and, I, and I've always been teaching my 10 years of, of teaching in MBA programs. We always did it in a hybrid model. So we had one day of, of teaching, and then the rest was online. So we were already on Zoom. I, I love being able to reach my students in Nicaragua and South Africa. So it was always like that. So during the pandemic, I said, Okay. Now, I, you know, no one's coming in. I'm going to go out. So I'm not going to go out in the old kind of I will lecture and you will listen. I'm going to go out with how I like to do learning, which is to kind of intrigue people and then say what do you think and put them in groups to talk and it's a real relational kind of learning and that's that's what works for adults and it works for kids too it's like (laughs) people like to be engaged so I was doing this course on resilient leadership and I had this seven weeks and you know it was kind of hard people did lots of assignments because I'm I kind of like you know the way you get skillful is to practice So during the summer, when everyone was starting to get back out into the world, and we were kind of lifting some of the restrictions, I got this sense that people were not going to come to seven weeks, of course. So I cut everything up into picnics. And I said, let's do five picnics on the five core elements of resilience. And like what I invited you, David, it's like, come on. It's like, you don't have to have been to the other ones. Each one stands alone. And and we talk to people from in small groups and we come back and say, what'd you learn? Let's try this. You know, what do you think? So I I'm doing more and more of that. I'm I'm really enjoying the 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 opportunity to package up. uh, And I'm headed into a a course that's going to be like six weeks now, because I really like the, the continuity of the learners.
0: You see, yes. the picnics
1: are okay, but I really like when people come back and I get to see them change and they get to see each other change. The community part of the learning and the support that people get from that and the affirmation, um, I think that's what people need now. So that's that's what I'm doing. I absolutely
0: adore it. And I'd love to have a shout out for your great colleague as well, Eric Setonarski. He's working with you as well. And what capacity does Eric sort of plug into the picnic? What's his sort of role?
1: Eric was my TA when I taught uh, my leadership courses. And I always found Eric to be both very grounded and and fun at the same time. And he's he's done enough of his own resilience work as both of us have that we kind of bring that to the course. And Eric is a combination of an MBA and a sound healer if you can kind of put those things together. And and yes. so he he has a very rich way of, of seeing the environment and um, we just have fun. So I just talked to Eric this morning. He's in his, he's in his little house in Joshua tree, and uh, we are designing, you know, we had our Zoom call this morning.
0: Not going to let you get away without talking about your books.
1: I've been I've been writing since I did my dissertation on stress and physicians. And I wrote a book then called Heal Thyself. I really wanted to say there's got to be a better way to train doctors. So mm-hmm. uh, that was my first book. And then I wrote Burnout to Balance. And I wrote Stress Map, which is a quick kind of map book of ways to see you know how much stress did you have and how could you fix it and I wrote take this job and love it and because it was always the fascination of what are people doing how can I how can I package it up in a way and I and then I started working on organizational change wrote um getting your organization to change came out of a two-year experience by being hired by a giant consulting firm saying, make us a methodology and change that we can use for, you know, redoing the South African universities and implementing SAP. And so right. I had a global design team and really like looked, I like to look at all kinds of stuff and then say, okay, what's useful? So yeah. that book and then wrote Rekindling Commitment, which is the things you were talking about, David, about how do, how do we make organizations and places to work that aren't soul killing and, and that people want to come to work. And then I wrote a, little book on leadership and sustainability.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, because to to write is is a major skill. I mean, the thing about writing is that you've got to turn up each day, haven't you? You've got to make a commitment. I'm
1: (laughs) sitting here at my computer. You have to sit down and do it. I'm working on my manuscript now for Realizing Resilience. And, you know, I'm working on Chapter 3 today. Okay. Because it's a consolidation. But But I do it because I want to give people skills and tools.
0: So you did allude to the, your new book. So just tell the listeners a little bit about what you're writing at the moment and when it might be published.
1: I'm writing Re- Realizing Resilience, Five Practices Leaders Use to Transform Change and Challenge. And I'm going to be done by January. But Eric and I are going to be previewing chapters in our kind of course this fall. And uh, it, really, it really rotates around the five practices that... I've looked at for years, I've tested them, I've used as a as a framework when I look at persons or teams or organizations. And they're not rocket science and they're doable. And so what I've done is really translate them into as you said David, first steps or each each chapter has tools, each chapter has ways of Breaking it down, because where people get stuck is they say, oh, it's too much. I I can't control anything. Well, what about 1%? What about one small little thing, a, a micro practice, a nano thing you can do? So I always start small so people can get big because if you start big you're overwhelmed. So, you know, how do how do I challenge myself? Well, you don't rip yourself out and make yourself do everything new. You find a little stretch. And 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 the connection part. It's like that's the other thing. People during the pandemic have really you know, they got isolated. They they their their social support net got you know holes in it, and it got thin, so we're all mm-hmm. rebuilding that and kind of in the in the early thing how do you how do you you know redo yourself you gotta reach back out to people you gotta go through the awkwardness of saying, "You know can we talk <laughs> can we can we get together can we can we try something um i think I think the risking that people are doing now. Uh, in the five areas of resilience is really, you know, people are reemerging and trying things. No one's going to rip their, you know, Superman suit off and emerge resilient. We're resiliencing ourselves and and you don't stay resilient. You have to tend it because it can go down and you have to bring it back. So that's how I think these five things are kind of like a giant canvas that you make your own configuration of your own resilience whether whether you're 20 or 40 or 80 i'm working with people who are 84 and the the same five things you know how coherent is their story how much control do you take you know how do you calm yourself down when you're worried how do you how do you challenge yourself and how do you make friends again so these things are kind of very basic. I like I like kind of simple things. I like one-hand things because then you can remember them.
0: <laughs> what I loved about it was that you just said there, and I think a really important thing was you've got to tend your resilience. It's not always at a level all the way through your life. It goes up and down dramatically, doesn't it?
1: You have to be vigilant. You have to mend again. You know, you have to go back mm-hmm. out. You have to um, – and, and people get – encouraged by being with people that's the other thing that this whole zoom thing i love zoom because we can have emotional literacy on zoom we can talk to each other we don't have to drive and park we can we don't have to get on an airplane i can talk to my friend in south africa i love this that yeah. we are mastering or expanding our ability to connect this way, David, with what you're doing.
0: I love it. And I agree with you totally on that. I'm 100% on board. Well, listen, I know we're running out of time slightly. So what I want to do is I want to make sure that people can get access to your books, access to your website, and also the courses that you've got come- coming up in the fall. So how do people sort of reach out to you, Cynthia?
1: Um, my email is cscott at Scott.net. And my courses Works Lab. C-H-A-N-G-E-W-O-R-K-S-L-A-B dot com.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you very much for that. And we'll make sure that we post those at the end of the uh, the podcast right up. I just have a couple of questions to ask before we go. If somebody is really worried, and you did hit on that kind of the the five things that we look at, and if somebody's just panicking at the moment and they're worried about things, what are some of the things that they can do, a couple of key things that they can do to stop worrying um, and maybe get chance to take a breath and take a step back and and look at the vista rather than what they're they're in the woods and they're, they're lost
1: well i'd say the first thing is the the worrying runs your body and and you'll get fight or flight going on and if you can't calm yourself you can't think so i always i always start you know say let's take three deep breaths let's sit in our chair let's feel the chair support us and just breathe two minutes, I mean, back to the little, the little thing with the doctors, I would say three minutes if you could stand it, but two minutes, because you must calm yourself down or your brain doesn't think well, then you can say, what's going on? And how can I make one? Where's one area of control? Oh, you know, I can, I can, I can call my friend. I can do one thing. So you start with the small thing, the nano practice, the, the one little thing. And it could be, you know, I reach out to somebody and say, I'm having a bad day. You know, can you listen to me? But you don't want to rehearse all the terrible things going on again. You can say, "I I just need you to tell me it's going to be okay. Or tell me one thing that's working in your life you know or let me talk for 4 minutes about you know what i can't manage and then you give me suggestions so you 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 set it up you size the bite of ask and uh. and rather than say ah, you know it's like you know can you listen to me for 10 minutes you know about this thing that just happened so first you got to calm yourself down then you, i would say the reach out or figure out one thing that's not moving and say okay i can i have to go back to my chapter i have to go back to my writing you know i can write for 10 more minutes and and also i would say david the story part of it is like i want to I say to myself is anyone bleeding or dying you know is is are we in calcutta right now you know how bad is this you know is this a first world problem you know i, I kind of like let's you know yes the server is down you know but okay anybody dead you know so maybe that's the old mother in me said unless we got blood going on we are okay you know so i i kind of you know i'll, I'll ask especially younger people in the workplace ah, you know it's like okay is this really how awful is this
0: i'm so relieved you use that expression because you know my kids look at me and say Look, did anybody die? You know, and that's exactly the expression I use, you know, because that is the worst thing that could ever happen. So let's put it in perspective. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Nobody's squished. You know, slow yourself down. Calm yourself down. Sit yourself down. Breathe. Go outside and walk around for 10 minutes. You know, get some air into your brain. Move your body. I I'm very, you know, specific. It's like you know, shut down the awfulizing.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting. It's trying to take some people on that journey can be very difficult sometimes because they're so wired, they're so plugged in, they're so you know, it's like into the, the the plug socket as I call it. They're kind of electrified almost, and you have to sort of disconnect them from that. So right, I'm gonna. And it's almost like people need those boundaries reasserted a little bit. You know, you're being like you say, you're being such a mum, a mother. You know that, but that's great because we had to listen to mum when we were younger and that was our structure and that was our boundaries and so so sort of maybe bringing that back again, sometimes there's actually quite a neat way of connecting with our soul again
1: I think so David, yeah. it's like momming, daddying, grandparenting whatever you want to call it, it's it's eldering in a certain way it's like let's go out and walk Perfect. let's just get out and move and somehow i i spent a number of years as what i called myself a chief grown-up officer all of my all of my people in my in my team were you know 20 25 years younger than me and and so it was it was kind of really fun and invigorating to kind of be with that sort of feeling but uh, every once in a while i said say you know, this is, this, this will pass. (laughs) That's the other thing. That's why I say I've been writing about, you know, this is not my first rodeo. And that's what we say in Arizona. You know, it's not the first time you've seen a horse, not the first time we've seen all hell break loose, not the first fire, you know, not the first war, whatever terribleness is happening. So I think, I think we have to remind ourselves that we, as a, as human beings are very sturdy and resilient and we have to remember what we've done. I have a granddaughter who like falls all the time because she's learning how to walk. And it's like you know, I go, oh, oh, but she just falls and gets down. We we, we forget that we did that.
0: Yeah, we do. We do very much.
1: remember that. We 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 can learn, we can get up, we can do stuff again.
0: Oh, you know, I want to talk to you for two hours, not an hour. You know, <laughs> we've got so much to cover. Well, listen, one the final question. Here we go. And again, this is something I ask all my listeners and all my, my interviewees, I should say. Um, if you're 18 again,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what would you tell yourself?
1: Uh, I would say, I would say do everything you already, always did. I would say live like somebody left the gate open. Do not do not hold yourself back from you know going and journeying and trying stuff. Eighteen is time to you know mistake forward, and no one is ever you know, you know you've got some latitude. You, go try some stuff. Uh, don't go to school. Do something else. You know, uh, school is in these buildings that will be there, <laughs> so so you can always return. <laughs> And I'm not sure school is the only way through these days. Go where the energy is for you. Go where you find the people interesting. Go where the the conversation is interesting or the, the problems draw you. Go there.
0: Love it. Love it. You said so many great words there. Mistake forward. That's my favorite one. I love it. <laughs> Well Cynthia, it's been an absolute pleasure. And like I say, we could talk for hours and you have so much knowledge there that I, I adore it, you know. And uh, I just want to thank you for being a great guest. I really do.
1: Thank you, David. You're you're a great questioner and and I I, I think I said I didn't know what I would talk about and you just pulled all kinds of things out. So I really Listen. can see how how helpful your podcasts are to people. So thank you for cool. doing this, David.
0: Oh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Cynthia Scott, founder of Changework Lab. engaging in your roadmap for a resilient change. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.